The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to hear some marketing wisdom from a friend and peer of mine from my days running the marketing department at an early stage startup. Joining us is Pedro Sanchez de Lozada, who is the CEO of Canid, which is a vaccine management solution for pediatricians to be able to focus on the children while Canid does the rest. Yesterday, Pedro and I talked about building awareness in the SMB market, and today we're going to wax poetic about some of our time working together and talk about some startup horror stories. All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Pedro Sanchez de Lozado, the CEO of Canid. Pedro, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, buddy. It's always good to chat with you. It's It's been years <laughs> since we got to work together. Yeah. Like you've moved on to bigger and better. I don't know if they're better things, but different <laughs> things. Definitely different things. I remember, by the way, just like the Friday afternoon drinks cart that we had at the office in Rinse. Remember that? <laughs> Let's talk about that. For the record, <laughs> Rinse is great. It's a great company. And congratulations to the founder who have grown it into what it was. We were there at an early stage and all early stage startups have their growing pains. And, you know, some people are right for different stages of the companies. And I have talked before about how my experience leaving Rinse was a painful one for me. And part of it was the relationship had soured. And part of it was I had some growth to do. And so I will say that now before we have this conversation. Pedro, you and I started at Rinse when we were like working out of a garage and, you know, it was people's dirty laundry and like, oh, this bag smells like puke. And like, by the way, (laughs) I'm supposed to be doing marketing and you're like Swiss Army knifing operations projects and and God knows what. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the bar cart. That was your bar cart that I had (laughs) bought because to me, working at an early stage startup, you know, it's about work hard, play hard. It's we're all going to be in this together, smelling each other's sweat, sitting in the same room. We better have some fun together, too. So you had a bar cart that I bought and I brought it into the team and, and, you know, bought a bottle of bourbon and some vermouth and some bitters and said, we're going to make Manhattans. And I think we like made one round of Manhattans and it was like, (laughs) hey, everybody, we're too busy getting our work done because it's an early stage startup. But A, thank you for selling me your bar cart. B, I still have it. I love that. And C, it is in the office that both me and Todd, who was in the customer service team, worked on. And and he's now the head of content production. I'm sure he's going to be listening to this episode. So 
Todd and I now use your bar card in the office, and that's one of the benefits of being in an early stage startup. Sometimes you come out with some really great furniture. <laughs> I had completely forgotten that that bar card originally was mine. I just remember it being like a staple of Ben's area, and I loved it. It was part of my ode to the Mad Men era of marketing, where you know somebody's got to be drinking bourbon in the office. <laughs> that said, let's talk a little bit about you know marketing at startups. We were at Rinse together. It's an on-demand-ish service, a delivery service for local businesses. And why don't we talk a little bit about what we did there in the marketing department, what works and what we would do different. Let's just, I'll put it in your hands. What do you remember about what we did for marketing at Rinse? Oof. In continuation of the conversation before, I think one of the things that I like the most about how we structured the marketing stuff was around local, right? Being really in line with the local community. And I remember this was probably after you had left, but one of the things that I think we started doing fairly well was actually going to buildings and we would like set up a little cheese plate with a wine bottle and be like, hey, does anyone want us to do their laundry and take it home tonight? It sounds really silly, right? But the reality is you've got your own like physical advertisement that for the cost of $50 and a $10 bottle of wine, you can essentially acquire a whole building that day. That works out pretty well, right? And that emphasis on local, I think was really, really good. Of course, there's other challenges to it. I think one of the things that we would run into all the time was that if we ramped up marketing, which I remember this was the constant fight between marketing and operations, which is like, if we did really, really interesting things for marketing, our operations would die. <laughs> and we would just like screw things up for everyone. <laughs> and so it was like, almost like, Ben, don't do a good job because you know what? What are we supposed to do with that? At least on Sundays. Can I be totally honest with you? I was trying to make you guys hurt as bad as I could, and I don't <laughs> think I did a great job at it. You know, I learned a lot from my experience at Rinse. Yeah, there was local marketing. And when I was there, we were in one market in San Francisco. We weren't even in the entire city, and then we had expanded to multiple markets. And I did what I now advise startups to avoid, which is I got addicted to PPC crack. Most of our marketing strategy was focused around figuring out what Facebook creative would result in the immediate conversions of prospects to customers. And the problem with that is we were able to show business growth and that became the expectation, but it wasn't anything that was going to be sustainable. We constantly had to grow our budgets to grow the business and there was limited ability for us to be more efficient within the same channel. So now you've worked at a couple of startups and I've consulted for many early stage startups since this experience, knowing what we know now, hey, great, we're going to run some Facebook ads and we're going to get some customers and we know that we can buy them for use around number $50 per acquisition. I don't remember what the actual acquisition costs were at Ritz, but we can get a customer for 50 bucks and they're worth 150. Great. We're in the right side. We got a successful business. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X.co. 
Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. What would you do now running the same business, knowing that that was what our acquisition strategy was? Are you asking in terms of once we're already there? Because I do think it's crack. So you got to be a little careful. (laughs) It's hard to wean off of it. Let's go on the Wayback Machine. You and I are teaming up when we're running the marketing department at Rinse, and it's early stage. We're still, you know, a round funded startup. We don't have big budgets. We're spending our money right now on performance marketing. It's specifically on Facebook. What would you do? Well, if we're specifically talking about Facebook and performance marketing, I think it's really hard to not do some of the classic downfalls if we go there. One of the things that I think was a really big differentiator was our ability to kind of understand how performance tracks over multiple channels and how comparable those channels are. For example, everyone looks at customer acquisition costs, right? And Facebook is the king of customer acquisition costs. They'll get you customers for cheap and like whatever, right? But who actually stays is a really interesting question. And it's much more complicated and it's really hard to optimize for when you're looking at PPC. So we developed a very complicated way of evaluating customer clicks and customer acquisitions to be able to kind of push back to that. But what I would say, maybe like taking a step back from that and saying, what if we weren't on Facebook at all? I think that's a more interesting question to me because ultimately you develop these cheap relationships to some extent. Those relationships that aren't very loyal, those relationships that aren't very deep with your customer base. And that can do some really tough things for your retention. It can make it so that people don't want to interact with you unless you give them like a credit or something. And that's going to suck. So I would encourage people to think about how can you actually build more meaningful relationships? And I know that's very generic, but if we were to talk tactics, being in people's buildings was actually a really good way to do that, right? Because they met our team and our team was out there and they were nice. You know, they were cool. They were doing good things. They would understand what people are going through and they would understand that people are busy and they would give them wine and like, hell, I'll make a relationship with anybody that gives me wine, you know, whatever. We all learned that in our time at Rinse, Pedro. (laughs) So that's my two cents. Is there a way in which you might be able to build a more genuine connection with your customer base? And hopefully it's scalable, but sometimes it doesn't have to be as much. I think that the approach of using social media to introduce new products and services like Rinse was the right one. 
and we did some brand advertising that was locally focused, which I also think was a good idea for sort of seeding the a market and driving some awareness. Where my regrets are with the organization, this was actually my feedback from Ajay, the CEO, and I, I took it very critically. And I, I spent a lot of time since leaving Rinse focusing on developing these skills of understanding, optimizing performance marketing. It was great to be able to spend blindly, right? Hey, I got a customer. Somebody got to the website and they converted. That's wonderful. But tracking the performance of that customer over time and understanding which segment or which behaviors are the ones that are driving the most value and being able to say, I'm not just getting customers, but I'm getting the highest value customers. So you're less dependent on finding more people is something I wish I had done. I didn't know very much about things like our tracking pixels and the segmentation that you can do in Facebook to give the channel the best possible data. It was more like, let's just run an ad and hope the creative is great and spread broadly and try to find the hot creative as opposed to let's use data, figure out who our best segment is and say, Facebook, go find me more people that look like these customers. That's really where I fell down personally was I didn't have a deep enough understanding of how to use the platform to get the best possible customers, not just any customers. Now, I totally agree with you that the local approach, and we talked about this yesterday, the hand-to-hand -hand comment of SMB makes sense, doing a, a building-focused approach makes sense as well. I think the other thing that we really missed out was some sort of a, a better referral incentive or some sort of way to get the customers to re-engage with the brand. To me, that should have been built in, and there was a product component as well. Well... Another thing that I'd say, I think this reminds me of something that I think we did really well at Merlin, which is we realized that the value doesn't come from an acquisition, right? It comes from people applying to jobs and getting jobs. So when we were looking at how to get more candidates in the door, we would essentially be able to track, okay, by the source, right? So let's say you got Google and you got a Google click on this campaign or whatever by the source, how many meaningful, we had like this metric internally called meaningful applications, which was an application from a person that wasn't just like, I clicked the button and applied to a job. It was more like I actually tried and we had a conversation with the employer and whatever. So basically, how do we adjust our acquisition strategy to account for that? I'll give you an example that I remember on Google web, this is fairly classic web versus apps, but on Google web, we had people drop off and not give any meaningful applications. And I think it was about 30% as valuable as Google apps. So when we looked at customer acquisition costs, we pushed a fake conversion that was only kicking one third of the time. So instead of actually saying to Google, like Google, you're acquiring us the same amount of conversions. We're actually only pushing it one third of the time. And the reason why that was, it's because it kind of confuses Google into doing, into thinking it's doing a little worse on that and actually helping you optimize properly for the actual value of the customer. And I thought it was really, really cool because it also allowed us to then take data and say, okay, Facebook optimizes this way, Google optimizes this other way. Let's compare the two in a, like a single metric, right? Which was our, we called it like adjusted customer acquisition cost. And that made it so that we actually had comparable top of the line numbers. 
multi-touch attribution is sort of the holy grail for performance marketing because as much as Facebook wanted to take credit for everything that we did when we were working together, the reality is we had ad campaigns that were running multiple different places. We were doing kind of local viral marketing. We were doing our transportation out of home type marketing. And so all those things were getting credit because Facebook was essentially the last click. The other thing that I'll add, you know, when we're talking about getting off the PPC crack addiction is that the methadone to your PPC crack is content. It is an organic growth strategy where you are either building some sort of a community or building some sort of a content strategy, which enables you to get the same types of targeted traffic you would from your performance marketing campaigns. The problem is those take a long time to develop. And that was actually my biggest learning coming out of Rinse, other than what my personal skill development needed to be, where my blind spots were, was that if I'm doing this again and I'm starting at an early stage startup, I'm not starting with PPC, right? I can turn on PPC at any point. What I'm starting to do is build the habits in the organization of we're going to create content. We're going to figure out what our organic growth strategies are so we don't have to be reliant on performance marketing. Had I started with whether it was the Rinse blog or some sort of a, you know home care content play and built that up as a, here's what people that are interested in on-demand services and taking care of their home in urban environments, I don't know exactly what that content strategy should be. Clearly, I'm not in the job anymore. You know, had I started with that early, I wouldn't have gotten into the position at the end of my days at Rinse where it was like, well, I don't know, we're out of thoughts. Like we got to expand beyond Facebook and it's going to take time to do anything different. I ran out of time to cultivate those new channels. Well, what I will say is content can be pretty powerful. And I agree with you in a lot of ways, but I would actually take a step back and say, you know, you really need to do is make sure that your customer base is to some extent doing your marketing for you. And when you talk about content, why is content cool? It's because people read what you say, they share it with their friends, right? And then they start reading what you say over and over again, and they start sharing with their their friends and you become a brand and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, I am starting a business, but like content, for example, doesn't work for me right now, or it might work eventually, but like, it's not exactly what our customer base is looking for. And I would say if you're in a marketing department, you also have to think about what is the right fit for your content? Because... I'll admit, yes, content could have been great, but I also don't see myself or don't see a large user base of people reading a blog about laundry necessarily. So maybe there's another way to do it. I don't know if it's necessarily the laundry blog. It's more like, you know, let's have a partnership with apartment therapy and be regular contributors there. A mixture of content and influencers would have been a better strategy than just pouring all the budget into PPC. That's a good point, right? Like influencers... I can totally see because influencers is like a human being and laundry sucks. And I'm a human being. I don't like doing laundry. That's why I even got it to rinse. So if I was an Instagram influencer, maybe I'd be interested in promoting this. You've got to figure out exactly how you build that specifically. And it varies by business, which is scary. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously every business is a little different and by all means, I'm not trying to air the dirty laundry of our time at Rinse, but it is interesting to think back about some of the challenges that we had working for an early stage company. And like with anything, you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to have some successes. And I look back at the time of Rinse as one that was challenging in my career. Most of the, you know, the end of that relationship was difficult for me. And it was a turning point for my career. 
But I look back and, you know, at the end of the day, even when you're going through the hard times and learning the hard lessons, there's value that comes out of that. And part of it is, Pedro, I get to have guys like you on my podcast, Todd, who manages our content production at the MarTech podcast, somebody that I met at Rinse. I got drinks with our buddy Carter the last time I went to Hawaii. Oh, I miss Carter. <laughs> you know, there's there's lots of good people that we worked with, James and Ajay, the founders as well. All experiences in your career are good experiences, even if they don't last. I would add another thing as well, which is, I think my first year there, maybe the same way as you said, we were so early that we went through like a pretty tough operational challenge. Like there was just very little structure and we had a lot of work to do that was way more than was feasible with the people and the resources that we had. And I think back to it as like a time where I worked 16 hours a day, six days a week or seven days a week and just did not stop until the end of the year. I realized, holy crap, I've just had a crazy year. But I still think back of that fondly as like a kind of a fond memory of maybe what not to do, how to build like an unsustainable model. But on the other hand, huge learning experience, right? A lot of mistakes, so many mistakes. I look back to that and... There's also my, my first time managing people. And it was just like, I sucked at managing, you know what I mean? Like, I was just bad. But as you said, like, there's just a nostalgia and it just taking back to bringing those learnings back in, I think is really, really important. And I'm glad to hear that you take what happened at Rinse the way you're telling me, but also I think about it the same way, right? There's a lot of mistakes that we made and a lot of things that we could have done so much better. And as long as we're learning from it and doing better that's the hard thing about starting something new is there's no playbook that you can follow because you're doing something innovative. And, you know, at the end of the day, whether it works, whether it doesn't, what sticks, sometimes the money, most of the time, it's the relationships that you build. Pedro, it's good to catch up. Great to have you as our guest. Thank you for having me, Ben. All right. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Pedro Sanchez de Lozada, the CEO of Canid, for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Pedro, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is P Sanchez DL. That's P-S-A-N-C-H-E-Z-D-L. Or you could visit his company's website, which is Canid.io, C-A-N-I-D.io. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.